Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast series brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. The second wave of the COVID-19 pandemic hit India hard, infecting more than 300,000 people each day. While there were many factors that contributed to this surge, this highlighted India's unpreparedness to handle a pandemic of this size. Against this background, Prime Minister Narendra Modi recently announced a new vaccine policy in an attempt to speed vaccination amongst Indian citizens. To tell us more about this initiative, we have with us Mr. Vinod Rai, a distinguished visiting research fellow at ISAS. Mr. Rai has been a senior officer in the Indian Administrative Service and was also the Controller and Auditor General of India. Thank you for joining us, Mr. Rai. Thank you very much for having me this afternoon, India. Thank you. <clears throat> As we all have been following the pandemic, the second wave of pandemic that hit India, um, it this led the government to change its vaccination strategy. From allowing states to procure vaccines independently, it has now announced a centralized procurement scheme. In fact, Prime Minister Modi himself made these announcements in his televised address. What are some of the factors that led to this flip-flop in government policy? Uh, well, Nitya, we, uh, we've gone through various phases of this policy. In fact, three in this particular calendar year, from January 16 to April 30, the central government, which is the union government, had procured and allocated vaccine doses to the states for free vaccination of three priority groups. And these were healthcare workers, frontline workers, and persons above the age of 45 years. But from May 1, the union government again asked states to procure 25% of the doses from the open market to vaccinate the, you know, the uh, 18 to 44 year age group. But from June 21st, now every citizen above the age of 18 will be vaccinated free at vaccination centers run by the center or a state government. Now what happened was that in the previous policy starting May 1, a state could administer vaccine free to the 18 to 44 age group at centers run by the state government. At the central government centers, only the three priority groups, which were healthcare workers, frontline workers, and those above 45, were vaccinated free. But from June 21, both the state and central, central government centers will administer vaccine free to all age groups. Now, people of all ages will have to pay for vaccination at private centers. However, private centers can charge only rupees 150 as service charge over and above the price of the vaccine. Now, the maximum prices for the vaccine, uh, three different vaccines, which is Covishield, Covaxin, and Sputnik V, have already been fixed by the center. Now, in the policy chain, the center will now directly procure 75% of the doses manufactured by vaccine companies and distribute this among the states to be administered. Now, <clears throat> from June 21, states will no longer have any role to procure. 
private hospitals will have exclusive rights of access to the remaining 25. Now, to be able to weigh in on the reactions of the government, or in fact, understand the reason for the flip-flop, as you call it, we need to recognize the basic inadequacy in the government's appreciation of the problem which led to this vacillation in policy. Firstly, government, we must admit, did not accurately estimate the severity or magnitude of the second wave that hit the country. Then there was a lack of self-discipline among the people who seemed to be suffering from what I would call COVID fatigue and kind of let their hair down when the lockdown was relaxed. This behavior accelerated the second wave. The distinct severity of the second wave, which is the Delta strain, also caught the public, the hospitals, and the government totally off guard. Now, government seemed to be following a prudent policy in ensuring the complete vaccination of the 45 plus category before they opened up for the others. This was roughly the time when the states began to criticize the government, the central government, for restriction of the sale or procurement of vaccination. Now, to play one upmanship, the states went on a spree criticizing the center. Now, I sincerely believe that this is where both the sides, the central government and the state governments, played a bit of politics. Government knew, the central government knew that procurement was not feasible from abroad, as just not enough dosages were available. Knowing full well that even if they relaxed, the states would not be able to procure as not enough was available, the center just let go. Then the drama of the state's floating request for bids commenced. Obviously, no resp su supplier responded. Some said they would supply only to the central government. Now, when about 92 million people in the 45 plus were able to get this, were yet to get the second jab, the center in a fit of trying to become more um, politically favorable opened up for the 18 plus category. This was an announcement as you rightly pointed out by the PM himself, but he seemed to have disregarded expert opinion about the supply constraint. And this turned out to be a miscalculation because it made the system very dysfunctional. <clears throat> the supply could not match the demand. Various attempts to overcome the shortage were undertaken, such as lengthening the gap between jab one and jab two. If you recall earlier, it said four weeks, then they said four to six weeks, then they started saying eight weeks. It was at this time that the states were not able to procure, that the center then decided to pitch in, and having proven the fact that, look, we let go only because you made the request and the demand, we have no option now but to go back to the earlier scheme after supposedly scoring political brownie points. The center reversed the policy back to central government. And it was the prime minister himself who thought he must explain to the public 
why there were these policy flip-flops that he came onto the television or he came onto national media to explain why this had been done. It was quite uh, undesirable the, the way it was done. However, fortunately now it seems that the policy has become functional again and hopefully what the government has announced now will take us forward. Thank you, Mr. Rai, for that um, elaborate explanation. And that actually um, slides in nicely with my next two questions. The first one being on manufacturing capabilities available in India. Uh, we have um, Bharat Biotech and Serum, which are the dominant players at the moment, but we are also hearing of Biological E being drawn in. Um, what are your thoughts on India's abilities to manufacture the required doses of the vaccines and are companies equipped to meet this demand? Yes, uh, see, considering the huge requirement or huge demand for vaccines within the country, I think India has really no option but to go in for large manufacturing, creation of large manufacturing capability. And <clears throat> this is not that any existing pharma unit can just start vaccinating it because lots of people uh, have come forth, lots of large pharma companies have come forth and said that they have no plans to get into vaccine production as vaccine production requires a dedicated facility. Now, we have these two uh, companies who are doing large quantities. Uh, that is the AstraZeneca-supported uh, vaccine, which is in India, produced by the Serum Institute, and is called Covishield. And we have the Bharat Biotech, which is a totally indigenous production, which we call the co-vaccine. These are the largest two facilities that we have. Then with the assistance of uh, Pfizer, we have the BE subunit vaccine, which we are proposing uh, to start manufacturing from 1st of July. Small quantities uh, are being attempted by Zydus Cadilla, uh, but it is the Sputnik vaccine which on which also we have to put sufficient amount of reliance. Now, uh, Covishield, it is expected that in the period from 1st July to end of December, we'll be able to do about 50 crores, which means about 500 million doses. Covaxin will do about 386 million. Uh, the bio unit will do about 300 million and the Zydus is expected to do about 50 million. Sputnik will do 100. Now, this will get us to roughly about 1.3 billion. Now, if we can do that large quantity, uh, which is the expectation, but where is the problem? And the problem lies in the fact that as of today, we have done 100 uh, the number, sorry, the number of people left to be vaccinated are 190 crores, which means uh, roughly about 1.9 billion people. The doses administered are 253 million only. Now, the current 
average doses per day is about 31. Uh, 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 or other, let me say 3 million cases. If we have to complete vaccination by 31st December, this number will have to increase from 3 million to about 20 million. Uh, or rather, sorry, this will have to increase to about 8 million. Now, do we have the capacity to create uh, such large numbers of doses of vaccine to manufacture within the country? Now, government has tried, government has tried very hard, and we are ramping up facilities, but as you are aware, that Covishield and Covaxin both require raw materials which need to be uh, imported from the US and the EU. Government has ramped up facilities, and I think a large amount of government-to-government -government negotiations have taken place in which the US government has agreed to relax on the raw material availability for manufacture of these vaccines. While government is pretty sanguine about the fact that they will be able to manufacture these quantities and supply them to ensure vaccination by 31st December, uh, we feel that this is slightly ambitious. We may not be able to do it by 31st December, but hopefully in about three to four months following December uh, 2021, government should be in a position to be able to uh, uh, manufacture all the vaccines which are required to provide two dosages for the population of 18 plus. That's the position as of today. Um, another contentious area has been the pricing of vaccine. The new policy leaves 25% of the procurement to the private sector where they can charge between 600 rupees to 1200 rupees, which is 12 to 24 dollars per dose. And they've also set a service charge cap of rupees 150 or $3 on hospitals. Um, the government seems to believe that these profits would be enough to incentivize both the vaccine manufacturers and the private hospitals. But do you believe that they are actually good enough for, uh, for them to ramp up vaccinations? Uh, well, see, for India, vaccination is going to be a multi-year project. Because covering 18 plus in the year, uh, age group require more than 8 million jabs a day, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, if 18 are added to the requirements uh, or below 18 are also to the, added to the requirements, it will go on for the better uh, large part of next year also. You may be right in saying that 150 rupees is not attractive enough for companies to go in or it will invest, incentivize the companies for going in for large in terms of uh, production of vaccines. But in the long run, I would feel that where companies feel that they may make up on volume, what they are losing on unit price, I think companies will come forward. And as of now, uh, <clears throat> hospitals who are going to be administering these feel that if they have to administer 
from the hospital premises, this will just about cover their costs and they are willing to undertake the vaccination. It's only when the hospitals reach out, conduct camps or do um, other uh, mobile vaccination units, run mobile vaccination units, that the price of 150 will become inadequate. Now, that's where some negotiations are going on. And <clears throat> I sincerely believe that uh, government may have to relax this 150 for those hospitals or centers who are conducting camps outside their premises because there will have to be an outreach program. It, it may not be possible for the entire population to be able to come to the hospitals or the centers themselves. Uh, government has had a policy of having mobile units doing this. Hospitals have been doing running mobile units or running special camps in where uh, there was a density of uh, people so that movement gets restricted as far as the public is concerned. So I think in the long run, governments the, or the hospitals and the units will be able to sustain at 150 rupees. Maybe in the short run, it does not appear so very attractive. Um, the new policy also has been silent on the question of imported vaccines. Uh, would this uh, impact the availability of vaccines from Pfizer, Moderna and J&J? Well, uh, as you're aware, no supply agreements have been finalized by the government yet with Pfizer, Moderna, or Johnson & Johnson. The government is in fact studying the conditions that these American manufacturers have set. And any decision on procurement and availability will be announced only after the final agreements have, I mean, conditions have been studied and agreements entered into. You're aware of the indemnity clauses that uh, these companies have been looking for. Uh, but that said, I would sincerely believe that the government is, or the public, or the requirements of the country may not be sufficient uh, if we look at imported vaccines. The requirements, the supplies have to be so large, so huge, that we have no option but to set up manufacturing facilities of our own, to ramp up uh, manufacturing facilities which are already available within the country because these are the only um, facilities which will be able to meet the huge demand which the Indian public uh, uh, would require to be met if 18 plus have to be vaccinated. And you, if you add to it uh, an requirement which would require the uh, people or the population name, age group to be uh, below 18 also to be vaccinated, we would require a humongous quantity, which I think by imports will not uh, be ever met. Hence, no option for us but indigenous manufacture. And that's why I think the government is not uh, pursuing so severely the issue of imports. Yes, they are looking for waiver on uh, uh, 
production patents, patents. for relaxation. They are looking for compulsory licensing kind of conditions, but not relying so much on imported vaccines. The recent struggle to procure vaccines also seems to have cast a shadow on India's image as the vaccine hub of the world. Um, it seems to have dented India's vaccine diplomacy or vaccine Maitri initiative in a big way. Um, in fact, we've noticed that in these past few weeks, China has stepped up its efforts and supplied to many neighboring countries uh, around uh, neighboring countries and also those afar. What impact has this had on India's foreign relationships, both with in its neighborhood and outside, especially when we have had in the past countries like Brazil preferring Indian vaccines over others? Yes, I do acknowledge that uh, India has been caught on off guard, uh, off guard on this and that we had started the vaccine Maitri program or the supply program internationally. Uh, taking into consideration the fact that we had what we felt at that point of time, a large vaccine production capability. But in the, in the second wave, India's growing deaths due to COVID-19 have certainly taken the sheen of the government's diplomacy during the COVID era. With more than 300,000 cases a day, India is today a country with the biggest surge at present. Uh, of course, it has declined much below that 300,000 cases uh, that it had peaked to. But in the past year, it has also been the country with what I would call the biggest heart, lifting its ban on exports of the drug HCQ, if you recall, when there was a demand for it, sending medical teams to countries in the neighborhood, and then for its massive vaccine Maifri program under which India exported more than 66 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines to 95 countries worldwide. China, of course, has exported 80 million doses to about 60 countries, but only after it managed its own internal COVID-19 crisis, which means it had vaccinated its own population. Now, finally, if you look at it, India was a second worst affected country after the sharp contrast of the worst affected in the United States, which has, through the use of executive orders, that's the United States, through the use of executive orders and its Defense Production Act, made domestic production and use of COVID-19 vaccines and farmers supplies its priority, refusing exports as at present. Now, that was the time when Prime Minister Modi had declared that India, this was in January, February, that India had walked the talk. And he said that at the global uh, <clears throat> summit of the World Economic Forum. So why do you say, as the government now is facing criticism for its diplomacy? Well, I would say, firstly, for not anticipating the current crisis and sending out what I would say an incorrect message internationally that India had defeated the coronavirus. That is when uh, Prime Minister Modi made that statement. But at that time, India was seeing about 11,000 new cases a day 
and nationwide about 150,000 active cases. Today, that number has grown and had peaked to about 350,000 cases. Uh, secondly, the criticism against India or within India was that we started the vaccine export program at exactly the same time as the domestic vaccination program began, believing that we could manage both simultaneously. While a case must be made for vaccines for the immediate South Asian neighborhood, as a pandemic in any neighboring country will obviously necessarily impact India also, but the criticism is about assisting countries further afield when they would have been used in India. These 66 million doses were exported while India's entire vaccine program over three months from mid-January to mid-April has given 130 million doses. This meant that at the very least, India exported what could have been used for a month of vaccination domestically. But please understand, even when we put a slight suspension on our program, the IMF and other people have come forward to say that India is not meeting its global obligations. So India was caught up between, on the one side, domestic requirements, on the other side, the global commitments that uh, Indian companies had committed to. Now, on the other side, take what the US department's response was. When asked why it wasn't clearing exports of vaccine ingredients to India and excess vaccines, it said that it was not only in America's interest to see Americans vaccinated first. They felt that Americans should be vaccinated first. It was in the global interest. And that's why they did not allow. Now, that is the kind of a situation that we got unfortunately caught in, in, and hence we had the difficulty of committing to export, but running up into a situation where the domestic demand went up so drastically that we had to uh, cut down on some of our export commitments. It was a unique problem, but like all other countries, India has met with its uh, export obligations substantially, despite the fact that it is now being called upon to meet its indigenous requirements. And finally, my last question also pertains to the India-US relations. Um, like you rightly said, initially, the Biden administration did not respond very forcefully to India's COVID crisis though it later agreed to provide raw materials for the AstraZeneca vaccines. But recently we've, we've read about Vice President Kamala Harris speaking to Prime Minister Modi and assuring the US support. And the Biden administration has also announced the withdrawal of priority ratings of the Defense Protection Act under which it, had, it could not export previously. What, what do you think, what would all this mean for India and its relationship with the United States? Oh, well, we must uh, accept the fact that uh, India's relationships uh, with the United States 
are fairly deep and these relationships have been deepening over the years may not be and they are not limited to vaccine supplies or commitment towards vaccine uh, raw material supplies only uh, there has been a huge amount of cooperation during the quad there has been uh, collaboration in climate change as you see uh, prime minister modi speaking to the g7 a group of countries gave his commitments to the various objectives that the g7 wants to uh, follow on but of course uh, the move by the biden administration and in particular vice president uh, harris ringing up the prime minister directly is a watershed moment for the us all right <clears throat> the us secured the first hundreds of millions of doses made on its soil for domestic use but intends now to be an engine of vaccine production globally but they have the wherewithal they can afford to do it they have uh, got herd immunity now and their vaccination coverage program is proceeding very rapidly now as vaccine demand wanes at home the biden administration is obviously facing calls internationally to release the us stockpile of shots made by pfizer moderna or johnson and johnson but again the issue is that the quantities that the us can release and 60 million is what is being talked about uh will be very very inadequate for india's requirements but yes it has been a very positive move on the part of the us uh, administration for the biden government to relax provisions of the defense production act and ensure that uh india and other countries do get the raw material that we require so it's a huge step a positive step which will help uh deepen relationships strengthen relationships and i said as i said earlier the relationships cannot be limited to vaccine only they are very wide and uh, deep and i hope that going forward these will become strong thank you mr rai for joining us on this very insightful podcast it was a pleasure having you as our guest today thank you very much your nice set of questions which did cover the entire game it was a pleasure you were listening to south asia chat to learn more about our work visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg also follow us on our social media handles facebook twitter and linkedin thank you